a dialogue with the chief executive. It is clearly untenable for the chief executive to go into a crowd of uh, tens of thousands to communicate with them. But I hope to arrange a meeting. My party is working on that. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm your host, Renita Malhotrahora. Well, in the headlines today, Hong Kong protests for democracy swell as leaders set a deadline. World stock markets are rattled by Hong Kong protests and the White House urges Hong Kong to use restraint. Today, we'll look at how companies can protect their domain names from cyber squatting in China. Alex Lee of the Internet Trademark Registry will join us for that discussion. We'll also talk about whether China is going to experience a Japan Pan-style lost decade. That's with Gabriel Wildau, the Shanghai correspondent for the Financial Times. And Andrew Sullivan, independent financial commentator and sales trader, will take part in the half an hour discussion. He is my co-host this morning. Good morning, Andrew. And let's take a look at today's top stories. Tens of thousands of protesters fill the streets through the night to press for open election, open elections and the resignation of Chief Executive C.Y. Leung. Student leaders have set uh, October 1st tomorrow as the deadline for their demands to be met. RTHK's Priscilla Ng reports from the ground. Well, many of the protesters who slept through the night here left the Admiralty protest zone this morning, saying that they have to go to school or go home for a shower and rest. However, the mass departure actually got some other protesters worried, saying that having so few people left here may make it easy for the police to move in to clear the scene. So they are trying very hard to urge protesters to stay longer, saying that it's important for them to so-called hold the fort until National Day on October the 1st. The U.S. is closely watching the situation in Hong Kong. White House Press Secretary, Press Secretary Josh Ernest spoke at the Daily News Conference affirming support for the protesters in the SAR. The United States supports internationally recognized fundamental freedoms, such as the freedom of peaceful assembly and the freedom of expression. Uh, the United States urges the Hong Kong authorities to exercise restraint and for protesters to express their views peacefully. The United States supports universal suffrage, universal suffrage in Hong Kong in accordance with the basic law, and we support the aspirations of the Hong Kong people. We believe that an open society with the highest possible degree of autonomy and governed by the rule of law is essential for Hong Kong's stability and prosperity. Uh, indeed, this is what has made Hong Kong such a successful and truly global city to this point. Uh, we've consistently made our position known to Beijing and will continue to do so. Um, we believe that the basic legitimacy of the chief executive in Hong Kong will be greatly enhanced if the basic law's ultimate aim of selection of the chief executive by universal suffrage is fulfilled. Uh, we also believe uh, that the legitimacy of the chief executive will be enhanced if the, if the election provides the people of Hong Kong a genuine choice of candidates that are representative of the people's and the voters' will. Local shares and the Hong Kong dollar both fell heavily yesterday. The Hong Kong dollar hit its lowest level since March last year against the U.S. dollar. The greenback fetched 7.76 Hong Kong dollars, spurring the territory's monetary authorities to reassure the markets that it is ready to intervene to keep currency within its prescribed trading band.
Shares finished at their lowest level in two and a half months. The Hang Seng Index fell 449 points, or 1.9% to 23,229. It was the biggest daily loss in about three weeks. Here's Alex Wong from Ample Asset Management. Both the declines can be attributed to the uh, protests in Hong Kong. And uh, for Hong Kong dollar, actually... um, uh, we were already in a downtrend for a while. Um, I think another reason is the expectations of higher interest rate in the U.S. in the upcoming year. That is another reason. Uh, since we are already discounting higher interest rate in the U.S., uh, the Hong Kong dollar had been a little bit weakish. Uh, and then uh, the protests actually accelerated that trend. This protest actually magnified the weakness in Hong Kong dollar and Hong Kong stocks. Other stock markets fell too. The Dow finished three-tenths of a percent down to 17,071. The Standard & Poor 500 index also dropped three-tenths of a percent to 1,977. And the Nasdaq fell one-tenth of a percent to 4,505. The FTSE 100 was down two points to 6,646. And the CAC 40 was down 36 points to 4,358. Gold fell 2% to 1,200. $214 per ounce. Asian futures are also looking down this morning. Japanese futures are looking down three-tenths of a percent to 16,245. And Aussie futures down one-fifth of a percent to 5,252. Let's bring in Andrew Sullivan, our co-host this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. So, Andrew, uh, Francis Lung was on our show yesterday, and he predicted a fall of 500 points. Fairly accurate. We were down 449 points. Where do you think this goes? Well, I think you know, you've got to take into account that we've got the end of the month and the end of the quarter come up. We've also got holidays on Wednesday and Thursday here in Hong Kong. So I think a lot of investors are going to be naturally cautious. Uh, and I suspect that there's very little chance of a rebound, especially when you consider that uh, certainly on Friday we get the, uh, the U.S. jobs number, which has a huge impact probably on the expectation for interest rates. And on Thursday we've got the ECB meeting. So there's nothing out there that's really going to drive investors back to the market in the short term. So Alex Wong suggested that uh, a lot of this was in the work, certainly with, uh, you know, the pressure on the Hong Kong dollar due to the rise, potential rise in interest rates in the U.S., and that it was just exacerbated uh, by the protesters here. Do you agree? Well, I think that's probably true. I mean, that Hong Kong has been on a downward trend. And certainly, in, in the short term, there's been very little news out there that's giving investors, you know, uh, reason for hope. You know, we've seen China taking a very hard line on stimulus, saying that it's it's quite happy to take the hardship in the short term. We've seen company earnings, which have been in line with the analyst estimates. And uh, the global outlook is not particularly rosy at the moment either. We haven't seen any uh, great growth. We've seen steady growth out of the US, and we've seen concerns for Europe. So, you know, there's, there's nothing there that's going to excite investors, I think. Now, here in Hong Kong, over the next couple of days, we've got public holidays. Do you think that the protesters will get fed up or lose grit, especially if it rains? <laughs> well, I think... Uh, I think you know, the, the weather has a large impact. I mean, yesterday morning when it was 34 degrees, the number of protesters out there, you know, declined significantly. Uh, and in the evening, as people were going home, they decided to stop off. They were, they were making a statement. Uh, but obviously the weather is going to have an impact. But I think the, the underlying factor is there that, that people have a concern and they want to express that. And I think that's positive in the longer term.
So, of course, the Hong Kong markets are going to be closed over the next couple of days, but we have certainly seen overnight how this has affected markets elsewhere in the world. Uh, what are you expecting over the next couple of days from elsewhere? Well, I think you know it, it's rather like the protests we saw on globalization in the UK uh, and in New York. You know, these protests come uh, and they make an impact for a short period of time. But actually, at the end of the day, it's more about the global economy. It's all about you know, what the companies are actually doing individually. Uh, and that is what's going to drive investors going forward. So Fitch rating said that it won't change Hong Kong's AA plus rating unless the protests last long enough to have a material impact on the economy. Sounds like you agree. Well, yes. I mean, at, at the moment, you know, we haven't seen a huge impact. Obviously, it's going to hurt the retail sales. Mm. Obviously, it's going to hurt some of the, the hotel groups. Um, and it may affect, you know, the airlines and people like that, you know, people deferring uh, coming to Hong Kong for holidays. But at the end of the day, you know, the Hong Kong market is more about investing in China. Uh, and a lot of that investment in China is more to do with what's happening with the global economy. And that will remain fundamental. I think if we were to see Beijing take a very strict and, and a hard attitude to these protesters and come in uh, and clear the streets with, with more force, then that would worry investors very much so. But I don't expect that to happen. I think, as, as your reporter was saying earlier, you know, it's a very civil disobedience at the moment. Yeah, civil disobedience has sort of shown a good track record in history, uh, certainly in the last century. So uh, let's see where it goes. Uh, j just to your point, certainly yesterday we saw that a lot of the Hong Kong retail stocks uh, were hit the most. Um, and as you say, you know, retail sales will be affected, you know, mainlanders coming in to uh, uh, purchase as they usually do during the Golden Week holiday. Um, what about just pure local business, you know, small mom-and-pop type business in central Hong Kong, all of the areas that are affected? Well, I suspect some of those businesses are doing rather well. If they're selling water and snacks, then uh, they're, they're, they're getting a, a bumper time. But I think you're right. I mean, I think, but though, that, you know, if you look at the retail stocks and certainly the jewellery stocks, as you say, which are very connected with the mainlanders coming through, you know, they've already seen that tail off. We've, we've had the, uh, the shopping instances of last year where mainlanders were badly treated. We've also got the fact that actually, you know, if they want to shop for Zara or Marks and Spencers, they can go straight to Macau and do that. Historically, you know, Hong Kong has been a stopping point uh, and that stopping point is becoming more and more marginalised as the retail sector in Macau builds up so it's, it's on a downward trend Hong Kong really has to try and reinvent itself in that respect Okay, well, the stock market comes certainly seems to be a thing of the past. The Dow opened down more than 100 points yesterday, extending its string of price moves of 100 points, its longest streak since June 2013. Is this kind of volatility the new normal? Here is Dean Cunnett, who is the CIO of Macro Risk Advisors. As you point to the Fed uh, and other central banks, frankly, dominate risk-taking to really an un unhealthy degree at this point. So you've got these very counterbalancing factors of high earnings, uh, consistent earnings, and the Fed seems, uh, while they're decelerating, they you know, want to land this ship as safely as possible. But uh, there's plenty of risks in the world. I think uh, what we saw in uh, late August and early September was uh, some movements sort of underneath the surface that you might not see if you're an equity investor just looking at the VIX. The VIX right. was up a tiny bit, but really the action was more in currency volatility. Uh, you saw in Europe uh, the, uh, the vote around uh, Scotland, the secession. Uh, a lot there was uh, kind of showing up in, in, in the space of currency volatilities as well. Nigel Hart of BlackRock's Global, Global Opportunities Fund says that volatility is a good thing. 
It leads to opportunity. It leads to valuation mismatch. You know, this, the, the strong dollar, and I think it's a lot about the strong dollar rather than the weak other currencies, you know, that will have an impact on U.S. corporate earnings in the multinationals, and the analysts haven't even begun to cut some of those numbers yet. What do you think, Andrew? Is volatility a good thing? Well, certainly for traders it is. Um, yeah, they love volatility. Uh, they like taking uh, and looking for mispricing. But I think you know, one of the key things at the moment, and volatility is probably going to you know, increase as we see interest rates come to more normal levels. At the moment, we're seeing very little lo- volatility, basically because money is free. Uh, and when money is free and mispriced like that, then you know, there is a, a penalty, really, for not investing. Um, as we see interest rates rise, then there becomes a cost involved, and that's where the volatility will really start to kick in. So, uh, although it's a good thing then, as you say, for traders, what about from the point of view of the retail investor? I mean, retail investors tend to be scared of the word volatility, you know, shocks through the system. Can they at all take advantage of this and how? Well, I think for retail investors, the, the real problem is that with volatility is, is it happens quickly. Uh, and as retail investors, they are you know, looking at the market on a daily basis mainly, rather than sitting at desks and watching screens, which is where the traders come in. So it, it is a, a negative for the retail investor. And I think for the retail investor, as, as volatility increases, hopefully what we'll see is they return to fundamentals. They return to good companies with good balance sheets, with, with management that they understand. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, you know, retail investors have got to in, you know, invest in companies they believe in because they're taking a stake in that company and in its future. Okay, thank you, Andrew. Uh, one more piece of uh, news before we move to the next segment. FireChat is a new mobile uh, a new mobile messaging application that enables users to communicate in the absence of cellular or internet connections. Uh, how? Uh how convenient is that? Uh, FireChat is seeing a surge in downloads amongst Hong, among Hong Kong's pro-democracy protesters. The free FireChat app was downloaded 100,000 times in Hong Kong between Sunday morning and Monday morning. This is according to Micah Benoliel, who is the co-founder and chief executive of San Francisco-based Open Garden, which developed the app. Well, we'll be back to look at uh, China's risk of a balance sheet recession. That's right after this message. The Work Incentive Transport Subsidy Scheme is open for applications. Eligible persons can choose to apply on their own or as a household, whether they are working full-time or part-time. Application forms are available at Labor Department job centers, public inquiry service centers of the Home Affairs Department, and Social Security Field Units of the Social Welfare Department, or can be downloaded from the Labor Department website. For inquiries, please call 2717-1771. Is the impact of Chinese stimulus waning as debt-ridden companies avoid borrowing and investment? Our producer Chris Oliver follows the story this morning. Chris, over to you. Good morning, Renita. Uh, Evidence of a uh, Japan-style lost decade may be unfolding in China as uh, China's debt-ridden companies lose their appetite for borrowing. Uh, uh, Many listeners may remember that there was a famous economist from Nomura called Richard Koo, and he termed uh, tepid borrowing by Japanese companies during the 1990s a balance sheet recession. Uh, We're joined now on the line by Gabriel Wildau. He's the Shanghai correspondent for the Financial Times. Good morning, Gabriel. Good morning, Chris. 
Thank you for uh, coming on the show. Um, I, I see that there's been a number of stimulus measures unveiled uh, in China starting from about April, but has there been a, a strong uptake by Chinese corporates, and what does that signal to you? Well, Chris, the uptake by Chinese companies to these stimulus measures hasn't been as enthusiastic as I think policymakers has, has hoped. And uh, that's raising a worry among economists that China is at risk of a so-called balance sheet recession. Bankers I speak to say that uh, the supply of funds that they're willing to offer is quite ample, but they're just having a very difficult time placing these funds. They say that many of their clients simply don't want to borrow and invest, and invest even when borrowing rates fall as a result of these measures. And, uh, of course, in a, in a classic balance sheet recession, what we see is that companies who built up uh, massive amounts of debt over the preceding period, and that's certainly what happened in Japan in the, uh, in the 1980s and more recently uh, in the U.S. and Europe uh, in the pre-financial crisis period, uh, they become focused on repairing their balance sheets, paying down debt, and they also see weak uh, final demand for their products. So they become insensitive to interest rates, and no matter how low the borrowing costs fall, uh, they simply they simply don't want to expand investment. So we're not at the zero boundary that uh, we saw from the Bank of Japan in the 1990s. Uh, where are we in terms of Chinese, uh, you know, the commercial lending rate at the moment, and how much could it uh, decline to re-stimulate borrowing? Right. Well. Uh, the benchmark of bank deposit rates is around 3%, and uh, banks are now lending to, to customers at a weighted average rate of, uh, of over 7%. So you're right. Unlike in Japan and, and also in, uh, in the U.S. and Europe more recently, um, there still is plenty of room for, for Chinese central bank to, to cut interest rates. If they wanted to, to make an aggressive monetary easing move, so far we've seen these kind of targeted mini-stimulus moves. If they want it to be more aggressive, there still is room to do that. So in that sense, the analogy with, with the U.S. and Europe and Japan isn't perfect. But nevertheless, we already are seeing signs that companies are becoming less sensitive to interest rate, rate cuts. And there's at least a certain uh, fraction of companies who for whom uh, cutting interest rates simply simply wouldn't be effective. And, and obviously we have seen, as, as the listeners will know, a huge increase in debt in China since the global financial crisis, since China unleashed their, their major stimulus in 2008. And uh, that's put pressure on corporate balance sheets, and it's raised this risk of, uh, of companies turning away from, from traditional profit maximization and towards balance sheet repair in, in terms of their and, management. Andrew, did you want to come in on this? We don't have uh, Andrew's uh, mic up, but I'll, I'll just uh, step in for a moment. So, uh, Gabriel, I think you're also keen on the idea of a slowdown in real estate is also depressing demand for loans. How is that affecting the whole chain of, uh, of, of the economic uh, stimulus in China? The economists that I speak to estimate that real estate, through both its direct and indirect effects, uh, contributes about 25 percent to Chinese GDP growth. So that includes, of course, <clears throat> uh, the direct impact of construction, but also the secondary impacts on sectors like building materials, steel, cement, copper, other non-ferrous metals, furniture, even transportation um, uh, demand slows down when when construction slows down, and and so that's contributing to the to the sense among Chinese companies that. Um, that even at low interest rates, it may it may be unwise to expand production. Let's say you're you're um, operating a steel factory. Steel prices are at 
all-time lows in China, and so you may choose not to um, you may choose not to expand production uh, when you see weak demand from your big buyers, from real estate developers who slow down construction. Um, and so uh, the real estate slowdown is definitely central to this story where you've got this uh, big overhang of unsold property. Construction is slowing down, and that's depressing demand for all kind of manufactured okay. products. Thanks, Gabriel. I think we economy. have um, time for one quick question from Andrew. Just wondering, Gabriel, do you think this is actually a sign that the, the Chinese companies are growing up, that they're very much more aware of the global demand rather than just the, the state directing them as to what they should be building and when they should be building it? I think so. Um, you know, what, we, what, we, what I think economists want to see out of the Chinese economy in the long term is more market-based capital allocation. And it's certainly for, um, especially for privately owned companies, they are, uh, they are more uh, sensitive to their own balance sheet situation. They're more sensitive to maintaining a healthy balance sheet. Uh, the problem is that when we're talking about local governments, state-owned enterprises, there's still a risk that they can pile on debt and feel that, that the government's going to bail them out, that they don't need to worry um, as much about keeping a healthy balance sheet. But certainly for part of the economy, we're seeing more uh, market-based decision-making uh, All right, companies. Thank, thank you, Gabriel. That's uh, Gabriel Wildow, the Shanghai correspondent for the Financial Times. And thank you, Chris. The time is now 8.24 a.m. The Transport Department has announced that all lanes of route Twisk, uh, both bounds, near Shek Kong, which were closed due to a tree collapse, are now reopened to all traffic. And motorists are advised to pay attention to TV and radio announcements on all uh, for the latest traffic conditions. Well, with 3 billion Internet users, more, more than 700 million Internet websites... Cyber squatting becomes an increasingly worrisome issue worldwide. A new domain registry may help to end this practice specifically in China. To remedy the problem under a new system, companies in China will be required to provide proof of copyright ownership before they're granted a domain name. Let's bring in our guest, Alex Lee, who is the Senior Vice President of Business Development International at the Internet Trademark Registry. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Renita. So, Alex, can you explain for our listeners, what exactly is meant by cyber squatting? Uh, sure. Cyber squatting actually takes uh, form in several different uh, forms, but probably the most common form that uh, people would be familiar with is if somebody were to register a domain name um, that was the trademark or brand of another company for the sake of possibly profiting on selling that domain back to that company. And why has trademarking Internet domains been such an issue in China? Well, I don't think it's just been an issue in China. It's actually been an issue all over the world ever since the beginning of uh, the Internet uh, as a commercial application um, and as an addressing resource. Um, and as companies come online and have come online, their brands and how they promote them online um, has become an issue in the intellectual property space. So I don't think it's just a China issue uh, per se. Okay. Now, my understanding is that sort of with this new move, that Chinese uh, character web address extensions will be added to domain names. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Um, I wouldn't say that we are the only player in the the new um, domain extension, extension space. In fact, I think it's uh, kind of the, the silent revolution happening out there in the Internet that most people don't know about. But we are one of many new extensions that are coming online 
um, over the next couple of years. And so one of the major aspects of this new move in domain resources and domain addresses is what we call IDNs or internationalized domain names. And what that means is that people and businesses can now register domain names in native languages, including uh, simplified Chinese, which is uh, what our domain extension is in. Now, how does that help the international user who doesn't necessarily know the language or, you know, how will they know what to type in? Exactly. So um, one of the aspects of the internationalized domain names or Chinese domain names in this specific example is really is it's that it's targeted at the end user and the ability and the ease of use for the end user to navigate to websites. So it's really not so much uh, for the actual brand owner or the trademark owner so much as it is for uh, the end user, the consumer or customer that that particular company is trying to reach. So in this case, 700 million Chinese-speaking uh, uh, internet users worldwide. So it doesn't really extend reach internationally, but there's more of a focus on the local market. Uh, absolutely. In, in our case, uh, since we are a Chinese uh, extension domain name, then the, the emphasis and the focus is on the Chinese market. Andrew, do you think this makes sense for Chinese e-commerce companies? Should they not be uh, extending beyond the borders? Well, I suspect that actually a lot of the uh, the Chinese e-commerce companies are already doing it, and they're probably ahead of the curve uh, over international companies. The trouble is that for, for many years, international companies haven't really looked at the Chinese characters uh, and, and in the web in that respect. But as Alibaba has shown, it's, it's, it's a huge domain going forward. And I think you know, from what you're saying there, it's, it's actually looking at trying to make it better for the end user. And uh, when it comes to the end user, well, look, one of the big problems is counterfeiting. So if the end user doesn't really understand the language, how do we sort of defeat that problem? Uh, that, that's a really good question, Renita. So when it comes to, to counterfeiting, what we... Uh, what we think about in the Internet space is uh, we, we hear terms of phishing and spoofing and things like that. So counterfeiting on the Internet, what we in the domain space uh, like to refer to as kind of uh, fake web addresses. So I think Alibaba is a good case. Um, obviously, Alibaba was the, the talk of the town uh, for the past couple of weeks. And so uh, I have some friends in the industry that know that uh, over the, the course of the last several weeks or several months, actually, that more and more domains um, with the actual term term Alibaba or the word Alibaba or their e-commerce platform Taobao have been registered and not necessarily by Alibaba, their, the, the actual corporation itself. Um, and so what that does is it, it, it actually creates a confusing uh, end user experience and actually a dangerous end user experience because people might be going to unofficial Alibaba websites or okay. counterfeit websites. Thank you, Alex. Unfortunately, we've got to cut it there. That is Alex Lee, Senior Vice President Thank of you. Business Development and International at the Internet Trademark Registry. Well, quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show. The Nikkei is down seven-tenths of a percent to 16,193. Australia's ASX index is at 5,269 and Seoul's Kospi down just slightly to 2,026. One one euro will buy you 1.2 US dollars, one US dollar will buy you 109 yen, and one Great Britain pound will buy you 12.6 Hong Kong dollars. The weather forecast for today will be mainly fine, hot with some haze through the day and a maximum temperature of around 32 degrees. The temperature right now is 28 degrees and the relative humidity is 86%. Thank you to all of our guests this morning and thank you to guest host Andrew Sullivan. 
now it's time for the half hour news with Samantha Butler. Thousands of pro-democracy protesters have defied government calls to go home and are continuing their sit-in in various parts of Hong Kong. The mood has remained relaxed and even festive since riot police were withdrawn yesterday. The only incident overnight was when a car drove through the protest on Argyle Street in Mong Kok before 2am. People screamed but managed to scatter and no one is thought to have been injured. A 59-year-old man has been arrested. The crowds continued to swell last night, resulting in organisers to appeal to people arriving at government headquarters in Tamar to instead head to Central or join the sit-in in Causeway Bay. The crowd at the government headquarters in Admiralty have fanned out in both directions to Central and Wan Chai, as our reporter Priscilla Ng explains. Many protesters have remained at the Tamar protest site in Admiralty, which has now actually spread to the Academy of Performing Arts and the police headquarters in Wan Chai, as well as Trader Road and parts of the Connaught Road in Central. But many of the youngsters are now leaving, saying that they need to go to school, and others say they need to take a shower and freshen up before coming back tonight for another night of protest.